Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Scouted Football Podcast. It's been around 10 days since we've uh, last recorded, but uh, we're back again and I'm delighted to be able to welcome uh, two very esteemed guests on today's pod. Uh, we have Ali Maxwell and George Ellick from the Not The Top 20 pod, uh, which is the leading EFL podcast if you are on Twitter or, or on anywhere, really. Um, it's really great stuff that the, the guys do over there. Uh, I'd just like to welcome you guys to the pod and, uh, and thanks for coming on. Joe, thank you. We're very excited to be on the, the leading EFL podcast, just if you exist, I think, whether you're on Twitter <laughs> or not. Um, no, that, that's what we're trying to be anyway. Um, and given that you guys are doing such good things as to be the, the leading go-to guys for young players across the globe, it's a, it's a, it's a good meeting of minds, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully so. Um, but again, thanks for the kind words there. I'll extend that to the rest of the team as well. Um, just to, to get us kicked off, um, if anyone hasn't heard of you, I mean, where have they been? But just a little bit of background on, on you two guys. Um, so, I mean, it's a football podcast. So who who do you guys support? <laughs> Good question. Um, one of us, I support Oxford um, and Ali, let's just say that his uh, team of choice is is still a secret, although uh, he may have been outed once or twice in the past, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, not I'm actually fan. a massive fan of Peterhead in the Scottish <laughs> second. <laughs> I can tell by the accent. Yeah, <laughs> it gives it away, doesn't it? Um, but yeah, I'm an Oxford fan and that's kind of why um, I've always had a passion for the EFL, um, having watched us in Championship League One and League Two and also the National League briefly as well, or, or actually not too briefly. Um, whereas Ali's background, um, he's worked on the EFL highlight show um, initially for Channel 5 and then now for Quest since he left university and therefore um, developed a love uh, for all things outside the top flight then. Yeah, I was, I was going to mention uh, Ali's at on Twitter there, but if you don't know what it is, go and check it out. Um, but I mean, you've got around 200 episodes now um, on the Not The Top 20 pod. I mean, how long has it been around and, and how long have you guys known each other? So we've known each other since time. about... 2001 <laughs> we yeah. were at school together so um we became very good mates uh, a long time ago now and that was genuinely and and we're not just it's not the sort of thing we've changed to match what we do now but it was purely because we were so obsessed with football and like while lots of people at our school were it was kind of like next level stuff for us so that that was where that was where we sort of really kindled a friendship and then kept in touch um, after, you know, we didn't go to uni together or anything, but always kept in touch. And, and when we both moved to London after uni, we, we, uh, yeah, we, we decided to set something up because I think we both had the desire to do something in broadcasting, but the, the difficulty when you're entry level or graduate level, um, it, even if you're in the broadcasting industry is you, you're, you're rarely going to get the chance to actually be on the radio or be on the TV for, for obvious reasons, because you're not very good yet. Um, the beauty of the podcast, which we set up in April 2016, was you can, I mean, you're so in control of what you put out. Um, because no one listens initially, you can make loads of mistakes and you can, <laughs> when you start, you can be really rubbish and it doesn't matter because you're going to get better over time. And if you do, then in theory, your audience grow, grows. So we've been really lucky with a few different things like the, the timing of it all, the fact that podcasting was just growing at that time. Maybe if we were five years earlier, uh, it, it probably wouldn't have had the legs that it has had. Uh, also, there was a really good Football League podcast called We Are Going Up, which existed before us. 
uh, and they basically shut down as we were set up but entirely by coincidence it all got a bit much for them in terms of organization so they closed down so yeah early on there was a there was a bit of luck um and we we sort of found the right time to do it all but so it's it's probably three and a half years now that we've been doing it and yeah as you say over 200 episodes that reflects the fact that since the start of last season we do at least two a week sometimes three so <laughs> we really kicked on at the start of 1819. I think I think the good thing and it's something you'll know about as well is that we're very lucky to be um kind of living and working in an age where you can start something yourself which can be successful um without any help from anyone else and you know we I guess at the moment a, a part of that where we no one would have cared what we thought about um Macclesfield or Leighton Orient uh, a couple of years ago um and so anyone who's kind of listening who wants to get involved in football is in such a good position now where you can just take the initiative yourself and start something up um, which you know you guys at, at Scouted Football have done, we've done as well, and plenty of others are doing. So I'd say it's an exciting time to be a young football fan. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I echo all those sentiments there, boys. I mean, I've got a, with this being episode seven of of this podcast, it's uh, over two hundred. is quite daunting, but it's something that you kind of you know those little milestones that you look to, and I mean, it's that's a great thing. I mean, how do you manage to, to keep it fresh? I mean, I, I know the content obviously is always renewing and stuff with more EFL games than you can shake a stick at but just between the two of you do you do you feel like sometimes you know maybe if you're not on best best form you can bounce off the other is, is that sort of a little method you use <laughs> uh, I guess it helps that we're friends although we've kind of tried quite hard to keep the um the levels of of the dreaded word banter down uh, <laughs> too much. We don't want to be one of those guys, but we you know we have a laugh and I think that comes across. It's important to note as well that it does get quite dry. I mean, we see every year on our statistics of our downloads and listens and stuff, the time between October and February always sees a massive dip. And there's no surprise about that because it's when the churn of games, it's very hard to find anything that's particularly um, different to talk about really. Um, compared to the beginning of the season or the playoffs or, or the run into the end, that's when the interest is high. So, yeah, it's quite difficult, I guess, to um, to keep it fresh. But there's enough of a core audience there that we can talk about what's going on and hopefully with a smile on our face. And that and, and that seems to do the trick. Yeah, I was going to say that the sort of three quick things I would I would add are one, the listeners and the the sort of audience or I guess community that we've sort of contributed to and, and been a big part of on Twitter, just people who absolutely love EFL football. Uh, and there's a lot of them. And it ranges from people who support an EFL team and are really passionate about that team. Um, and people who just are really interested in, in the competitions and the leagues as a, as a three, because um, as you guys will know, compared to the Premier League, it changes every year because the good teams go up and the bad teams go down. So it, in that sense, in a long-term sense, it kind of keeps fresh because every season is different. Um, you know, there's a, the old cliche that anyone can beat anyone, but it's true to an extent that championship football, let's say, compared to Premier League football, uh, is a lot less predictable and the, the better teams are not as good uh, or there's not as big a gap between the best teams and the middling teams or the best teams and the worst teams. So week to week, you know, there's always plenty of stuff to talk about. There's three divisions as well, which helps. Um, but the other thing I think has been quite good for us, and it just stemmed from how we view the game anyway and how we consume football, is that both of us, to a slightly differing extent, like quite into um, analytics and the data side of football uh, and have been before we set up the pod. And the way that that's helped us, I think, is when we do a pod on a Monday, 
we found a quite a nice way of doing it where we are looking back at the results and the matches and what happened. But I think if you just focus on that, then there would be a risk of it becoming very much like trying to tell a story, which doesn't come across that well on a podcast, like the story of a match or this is what happened and it was good. We've always kind of tried to note what happened on the weekend and then try and launch into a, a, a wider discussion and maybe a more predictive discussion. So this happened, but looking a bit deeper, does it mean this team is now going to go on a run? Are they getting a bit lucky? Are they being really unlucky? And that's the sort of thing that that helps, A, start a lot more conversations. People listening either agree or they strongly disagree and they want to get in touch. Uh, and then it all kind of perpetuates itself because then the, the conversation carries on on Twitter and we just get a lot out of that. Um, if we do feel really dry one week, then we just ask people to send in questions and you normally get some really You're good... Giving away the secret. <laughs> then you, get some, you normally get some very good ones and some very creative ones and that, that can be a real help to us as well. So yeah, there's a few things really. Yeah, just on that questions point, you um, you do that Sunday scouting feature uh, on a Sunday evening and it's it's always strikes me just how many responses you get and obviously the the desire and the, the following that EFL football has, yes, it doesn't have the glamour or the or the glitz or, or any of that of the um of the Premier League, but you know there is a there's a considerable following that people that care a considerable amount, and it's great that you know there's that provision for them to to engage with. I mean, as you say, like a twice weekly podcast and stuff. So yeah, it's it's really great what you've been doing. And um, if if anybody who's listening didn't catch uh, the BBC Radio Five Live special. Um, that you you guys set up and 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 had on with Mark Chapman, Mark Palios, and and the like uh, last week, then definitely check that out. That's a great listen. Um, should be on the iPlayer if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, on BBC Sounds app, I think. But I mean, and thanks for the kind words on that because it was great to be a part of it. But I mean, on your point on on the scouting reports, I mean, the, the two things about that. Firstly, it's, it's as helpful as for us as it is to them. I think it's fair to say. I mean, people often ask us. Um, you know what it's like and how you cover leagues with 72 clubs and frankly we couldn't really do it without the help of, of a bunch of listeners and the other difficult thing as you say I mean there is a massive community of people who who are engaged and like the EFL but what we notice quite quickly is that it's not really a transferable number across to those who want to listen to an EFL podcast if you're someone who goes to Tramir home and away or to Macclesfield home and away or to Oxford home and away the fact that you support an EFL club probably still means that you like football and when you come back on a Saturday night, you're probably going to put on match of the day rather than EFL on Quest because you're still going to be interested in top level football. So I think our job to an extent is to provide kind of a content source that makes following the EFL more fun and makes it more enjoyable and hopefully in doing so will open people up um, to support, to basically to be interested in all the leagues rather than just the team that they support in them. We've had the odd American listener say... You know, they listened out of curiosity. They quite enjoyed some of the stories and learning more about some of the teams that they didn't know about because they're not Premier League teams. And now we've got like, there's a bloke who's decided to take on Crawley Town and, and he's like really <laughs> obsessed with them, tweets about Crawley all the time. Like, you know, it's not just down to us, but that was a sort of a gateway into the EFL. And yeah, as George says, we hope to provide that that way of, of being across things uh, even if you don't support an EFL team, yeah. you know, if you can spare an hour and a half a week or an hour a week, then we will keep you up to date with everything and, and hopefully in a way that's not too dry and, and generally relatively entertaining and sometimes insightful. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, just that story, that little anecdote there, that seems quite rewarding. And you do get those little tidbits of, you know, running an account like yourselves on Twitter. You do see those people who, you know, really latch onto a player. So for us as scouted specifically, if you, you know, draw attention to a certain player, then people who engage with the tweets might go, oh, you know, actually, let's take a look at this guy. And, you know, they might be from the same country as the player. And yeah, it's really rewarding and, and quite gratifying to see to see that come to fruition. Just with this being an, an under twenty three podcast, I think it would be rude not to not to discuss some of the some of the fantastic talents um, that are in the EFL uh, at the moment, and and a few that that we at Scouted have, have kept an eye on very recently. We discussed this before we came on air and, and over the past few days, but I don't know if either of you boys you've been there are a few that have stuck out I mean I have a feeling there might be a few that I've got written down here that there might be a bit of overlap but are there any players in the championship league one league two that that have really you know caught your eye this this year yeah I mean it's you're talking to me us at a good time about it because we've just recorded our our Monday show and I um, have waxed lyrical about one player in particular uh, and that is a very easy at QPR um, the context being is that anyone who listens to the pods or follows me on Twitter will know that I have quite an unhealthy obsession with Jack Grealish and have been banging the drum about Jack getting an England call up for about 18 months now. And I think we're about to finally get there um, next week or in two weeks time. So therefore, I have to find someone else to champion towards the England senior team. And if that's going to be the case, then easy is that player um, by absolute miles. He is so good and he is so much better than most attacking talents in the championship, it is scary. Um, he is a player who, if, if you don't know much about him, he's, he's at QPR. Um, he's been there for a couple of years. He was actually released um, by Millwall uh, about three years ago, um, which I think whoever made that decision at Millwall is going to f- be forever uh, tainted by that call because he's going to the very top. He's 21 years old. Um, had a really, really strong start to, to the beginning of last season, playing a kind of number 10 role um, as a flair player. And in the back end of the season, whether that's because it was his first full campaign as a first teamer or for whatever reason it was, completely went missing for the second half of the season. And I've said it before that I think this is probably the best thing that could have happened in his career because the links that were being made to certain Premier League clubs suddenly vanished. He wasn't sought after in the summer. Um, he stayed at QPR and under Mark Warburton has, has come out of the blocks like you know, a, a completely different player this season. He's already scored six goals and, and got two assists, uh, including a brace of penalties on uh, Saturday. But as ever... Goals and assists don't really tell the whole story. And, and Easy is a player whose uh, vision on the ball, his dribbling ability, his strength as well on the ball for a guy who's only 21 years old sets him completely apart. And, you know, not only is he a very, very good championship player, I, I see no reason at all why he won't be properly elite, um, top level elite. And it's going to be important where he gets his next move because he's a, a talent who is just very, very special and uh, looking forward to seeing more of him uh, this season, at least in the EFL, because I don't think we'll keep hold of him much longer. Yeah, I mean, we caught a little bit of, of easy towards the back end of last season. Um, oh, sorry, more towards sort of like January, February time, just because, you know, his, his statistics stood out, you know, the old stats to narrow eye test to validate. And we, we were watching a few of his games and we thought that, yeah, you know what, he's, he's obviously very talented technically with the ball, but maybe his decision making wasn't, you know, very finely tuned yet. But this season, you know, he, his decision making seems to be a lot better. He seems to be a lot more mature, and and with that, out of your excitement has come has come output as well. I mean, you mentioned those those six goals in twelve games and and the two assists and 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 obviously those penalties that that he won and and then converted against Hull at the weekend. 
which by the way if you haven't if you haven't seen um dribbles <laughs> the length of the pitch and then yeah. when just takes on so many men and then gets fouled in the box converts the penalty it takes him about as long to run from his own box to, to getting fouled as it did to run from the from the his beginning of his run up to kicking the penalty for the first penalty as well, which I enjoyed. But <laughs> yeah, he's got a bit of he's got a bit of, of a persona about him as well, and yeah, mm. he's one of those players that's routinely fouled, but quite similar to to Jack Grealish in the sense that he has that output as well. You know, he's very creative. He knows how to pick a pass, and he's also not afraid to to take players on with with dribbles as well. So he's he's definitely. I mean, he's by far QPR's player of the season this year. Um, and that's just on, on the back of watching a couple of games. He genuinely does stand out that much. I mean, I'm sure you'll agree, but obviously you you followed, I mean, you are the not the top 20 pod, so you, you'll have more expertise on this. But you mentioned the Millwall stuff there. I mean, I imagine it's quite rewarding seeing a player that like that, who you follow for, for a few years, really come into their own. Yeah, and especially because, I mean, Ali put out a thing on our Twitter account the other day talking about players who... Are just way too good for your club when they come there. And he went on loan to Wickham. And I think we had a couple of Wickham players who flagged him up as being one of those people. Wickham fans. Yeah. No, <laughs> it, one of the things we've noticed, which is good because we love talking about uh, talent, young players who with, with a lot of potential, but that is another thing that people really do. It captures the imagination of people who, who maybe um, they might support a team in the EFL or potentially they don't. What everyone wants to know is, who are the young talents? And that's, you know, you guys are are doing so well across the whole of the globe in terms of, of doing that. So I'm sure you've recognised that real appetite for, you know, what football manager fans would call wonder kids. And, you know, f- from an EFL point of view, we always bang on about how much talent there is. Uh, it's, you know, it's partly self-interest there, of course, but we genuinely believe it. And it's, it's not made up. I think 17 of the 23 England players at the 2018 World Cup had played EFL football at the start of their career. Now, some of them, of course, they are short loan spells um, to get a first taste of senior football. But there's also plenty who have started through the academies of EFL clubs who potentially, without those first 100 games between the age of 18 and 21, might not have reached where they reached. So it's really interesting to, you know, you you cannot guess a player's um, future because everyone's pathways are so different. And the, the frustrating thing, I suppose, when you do invest in some of these young players is when they do get their Premier League move, sometimes it can feel like they're, the pathway is blocked a little bit. It's just the nature of, of the Premier League. As we know, it's so competitive. There's really not much time for any manager to truly put his yeah put his time and energy into developing young players. So as George mentioned with Eberi Easy, like the move to the Premier League and who they move to is so important. We've seen a few clubs like Bournemouth and Leicester um, buy EFL players and actually give them a, a solid pathway. But we've also seen plenty of players move up who who haven't really and who sometimes you see a couple of years later almost like damaged goods. So that's a bit of a shame. Um, the difficulty is, especially with attacking players and strikers, you're going to go from a, a, a championship where the teams are so well balanced that games are much more even uh, generally and chances are much more evenly spread out to very rarely going to a top six Premier League team from the EFL. Tottenham have obviously picked up a couple in the summer in Clark and Cessnion, but generally you ha- you're going to, to one of the other teams, one of the other 14, <laughs> as they are not known, uh, but might as well be. And the difficulty for a lot of those clubs is some of them 
are obliged to play quite a defensive style because of the the talent gap when they come up against teams in the top half of the table. That doesn't necessarily lend itself to a thriving young attacking player, whether that's a a winger or a striker that needs service. So you'll see, you know, Tammy Abraham go on loan to to a Swansea team that just weren't going to create him the chances to score goals. And at that stage of his career, that's what he needed. So, yeah, the move is very important. What team they end up at is very important. And uh, I, I, I like to think that now some of these young players are realising that and, and realising that it's not always worth just, just taking the first opportunity to get that Premier League move. Tammy was the um, was the example that I was going to use, actually, uh, while you were speaking there, because it was. It was clear that he, he had exceptional talent from that time at Bristol City. Um, I'm, I'm a Newcastle fan myself, and I remember watching the both games against Bristol City in that 16-17 season. And... You know he's quite he's deceptively strong for for being such a slender slender build and and obviously he scored over twenty goals I think it was twenty three in that season and the Swansea move it seemed yes you know he he's made that natural progression to a Premier League team but as you say they were obliged to play a certain way of football because balancing the risk and reward of you know blooding a nineteen twenty year old on loan striker is not you know you're not going to earn the reward of 180 million or whatever it is for, for maintaining your Premier League status. So, yeah, there's always that trouble. And I mean, the other one that springs to mind is, is Damari Gray coming in halfway through uh, Leicester's title winning season from, from Birmingham. You beg, it begs the question, you know, would he have benefited a lot more if he'd stayed at Birmingham for, for perhaps another season, season and a half? But by and large, the, the clubs that, that you mentioned, like, like Leicester, obviously apart from Gray, but um, also Bournemouth as well, they do double as a, a very good landing point for, for those EFL players. And I think that's that, that's a positive thing as well, because as you say, they're not going to always get into a top six team. You know, they're not always going to be Daniel James's. I think that's, uh, that, that's definitely a positive one. Just moving on uh, into an, another player that, that I particularly quite like uh, and I've really enjoyed watching this season for a number of reasons uh, is Ben White at uh, Leeds Mm. Um, and a lot of uh, I like to I like to joke on and say he's Pontus Light but he's actually not he's quietly a lot lot better in my opinion um, because what he embodies is uh, a style of play that that Bielsa has wanted to play but didn't have the personnel to be able to do so and you know Bielsa's nonchalance at losing a fan favourite and Janssen um, in favour of a player in, untested in the second tier, you know, kind of speaks mm. volumes of the the faith that he's put in him, and he's and he's delivered. He's he's thoroughly thoroughly done well. Yeah, I mean, White's performances have been so impressive and surprising to some extent, and that's why it's so impressive from a Leeds point of view and a Bielsa and his scouting team's point of view that they were so adamant he was the one to bring in. You're, you're talking about a guy who had a loan at Peterborough but ultimately not a huge amount of football under his belt. So not much adult football, senior football to go off when, you know, sifting through the data and the video to work out who's going to fit into this Leeds team. We know they play a style that is, you know, it's important that you have the right characteristics for it. And White, much more so than Janssen, appears to. I think there's an interesting point to be made about how we analyse defenders and I'm not talking about advanced analytics and and going through numbers but actually even with just the eye test um, someone like Janssen partly due to his character and his size uh, he he was dominant in some areas he he 
on the occasion where he relished a physical battle, he would dominate the opposition striker. And it's the sort of thing that from the stands, you can see really, really clearly. Some of the stuff that you see slightly less clearly from the stands when you're watching a, a whole game, but that I think if you really hone in and, and look closely at individual defenders, you might pick up a bit more. Things like positioning, things like you know uh, placement of the body, body shape when defending, um, anticipation, these slightly less obvious characteristics, all that stuff is what Ben White has shown Janssen maybe to have lacked compared to White. So he's, he's always in the right position. He's obviously very strong in the tackle. He's slightly less strong than Janssen aerially, but it's, it's not a huge issue. There's, there's still a few teams in the championship that play very direct with a target man, but only two or three to, at this stage now. So, Maybe if he's giving up a few inches to Janssen, he, he's clearly more than more than capable of of replacing him in terms of certainly on the ball as well, which is clearly going to be key in the system. He's barely put a foot wrong and he has a lot of responsibility when it comes to building possession for Leeds. Um, they've got Calvin Phillips who drops very deep and can help with that. Um, but if a team does mark Phillips closely, which they tend to do, White's shown himself more than capable of starting an attack himself with with good, strong progressive passing so uh, certainly one of the revelations of, of the EFL season so far and given that we have tracked Adam Webster to Brighton um, given that we've tracked Matt Clark from Portsmouth to Brighton and now on loan at Derby the fact that they've got White on their books as well and Duncan Duffy who are you know they've played EFL football as well it feels like that's the, the place to be they're sort of stockpiling good EFL based centre-backs and uh, yeah it's good to see. Yeah, it's very good to see. I mean, Graham Potter is also, of course, a very good coach. I mean, what he did with, with Swansea last term with, in essence, uh, you know, a, a side that that were comfortably mid-table but got the best out of, you know, the likes of Ollie McBurney and Dan James. And, and as you can see, you know, they've got they've got themselves Premier League moves. Um, it's great for, for, for Potter's stock, for, for definite. And I think it was the right time for, for him to move and possibly the right time for Chris Hutton to, to move on at Brighton as well. Um, but just going back to um, to Ben White, you, you mentioned uh, that, you know, he's he seems solid and dependable. And even though he might, you know, concede a few inches on, on Janssen, you know, you want that reliability in, in your back four. And uh, one of the stats that really stuck out to, to us um, was the fact that, first of all, we like his level-headedness. We like the dissimilarity between him and Janssen in, in the sense that he does have that level-headedness. And, and in 12 games, you know, he's conceded nine fouls, which obviously isn't, you know, the, the, the league leader. But at the same time, it shows that, you know, he's he's very good at reading the game well. And that that's backed up with with his with his interceptions as well. I mean, he's he's completed over twice as many um as the next best player for Leeds, which is which is Calvin Phillips. And, you know, he's he he's good at doing what your old school bog standard defender is good at, as in what Jansen was good at, but he's also good at the things that are required of modern day defenders and modern day centre backs are, are good at as well. In in terms of you know starting moves with with the progressive passing that, that you mentioned. Um, just moving on again, was was there anybody else in the championship that you've you know earmarked as an under twenty three player that that really caught your eye this season or has, has surprised you? It may, maybe in the in the sense that that Ben White has. Well, Reading are having quite a tough start to the season. To be honest, they've already cycled through one manager, they're on to their next one. It's been a bit of a theme of recent seasons for them. Um, but Ovi Ajaria is playing really, really well in central midfield. There are a few parallels with uh, Easy 
because under Jose Gomez, the previous manager, Reading were playing quite a similar formation. And it's actually quite unusual, certainly based on EFL football over the last few years, that QPR and obviously Warburton is a really progressive manager who has the ability to switch things up a lot. But for quite a few games this season, they've played a a 3-5-2 with basically one sitting midfielder with Easy and Ilias Chair, another young player, both really attacking-minded in the central midfield uh, positions and two strikers as well, which, you know, some managers would struggle to get four attacking players in that way on the pitch at the same time without giving up quite a lot of balance. But they've sort of done that really well, QPR. Reading did a similar thing uh, at times at the beginning of the season with Lucas Joao and George Puskas up front and with Ajaria and Swift in those two advanced central midfield roles. Um, Swift has been brilliant. He doesn't quite make the scouted cut because he's 24, but he's he's sort of thriving pretty much consistently for the first time, uh, having been sort of hotly tipped young player for a long time. But Ajaria is 21. He is on loan from Liverpool, but I'm led to believe they've got an option to buy him at the end of the season. And a lot like Easy, a lot of his skills come with um, dribbling, with moving, with with carrying the ball forward, with you know, like Easy, an ability to skip past players, draw other defenders to him, and then make the right pass to a teammate in space. He hasn't actually got an assist yet this season, um, which I'm sure will come. But he has a goal threat as well. He's got two goals. He takes plenty of shots for this Reading side. So um, he, he's definitely a player that, that's caught the eye for me so far this season. I mean, George, from your point of view, you can go all day with these guys, right? You've got Jared Bowen, you've got Ollie Watkins, you know, you've got Carlin Grant, who's, who seems to have taken to the league quite well. Connor I Gallagher, we just spoke about on the pod. You mentioned um, Watkins and I think you can basically do a piece, you could do an episode just on Brentford um, because the the way that they uh, recruit their young talent, um, the way they bring them through. I mean, Brentford, of course, basically, well, they got rid of their academy in favour of bringing in young players who'd already kind of served their their time elsewhere. And I know that we're talking about 23 and unders, but so someone like Saeed Benrahma is now no longer part of that because he's 24, but you've got Watkins, who's 23. Sergio Canos is, is 22, who's, of course, out for the season. Uh, they brought in um, Brian Mbumo, who's 20 years old as well in the summer, who scored an absolutely fantastic strike. Um, on Saturday, Josh De Silva, who we saw scoring a, a wonder goal against Bristol City as well a couple of weeks ago, is 20. Uh, Rico Henry's 22. And this, I mean, they are, if, if scouted football were to ever to sponsor an EFL team, I'd recommend that you you go after Brentford because um, the way that they go about their their scouting and their recruitment to get these guys in, the, the faith that they're willing to invest in young players in, in performing, at, you know, in crucial parts of their team. You look at Watkins, who's someone who's who's done very well there in, in his first two seasons, but normally off the flank, never really one who they're relying on goals for. And they sell Neil, Neil uh, Mope for a decent fee. And rather than looking to bring in someone uh, like for like replacement, they shift Watkins inside and he scored eight goals in 12 games already. Um, and that is the way to develop these players. So um, anyone who, who, you know, wants to learn more about EFL players who are doing good things in the chat, um, who are, are under 23 or 23 years old um, just start supporting Brentford because there's going to be a continual uh, conveyor belt of talent that they've got. Yeah, Brentford are a, are a club that we really, really like. And um, just an interesting little tidbit you, that you mentioned uh, there that you know they, they got rid of their academy in favour of uh, players that 
had you know already served their time in in that sort of role and they actually they've signed i mean you'll know this but they've signed Halil Devishoglu who is yeah. uh, a favorite of uh, one of the the lads at scouted Lou who does all the fantastic work on the twitter uh, and and so much so much more than that but he is a huge huge fan of of Devishoglu and he can't wait for for him to join up with Brentford in um in uh, January because he is he's just like that Saeed Benrama type player who again last season we followed very closely because he was you know one of the best players in the championship and undoubtedly one of the most entertaining as well um yeah I mean you, you mentioned the the Brian and Buemo uh, who joined from Troy in the summer I and mean, scored that great goal in, in that I mean an amazing comeback win against Millwall mm. um but just just rounding off on, on Ollie Watkins you know it's probably the first time he's played as a centre forward or having led the line as the spearhead of an attack since his time at Exeter, which again, wasn't consistently playing as a centre forward. You know, he was out on the wing at times, but he, he fin- I feel like he finishes really well under pressure for someone who isn't a conventional striker and uh, his, his penalty box movement is really good as well. Um, the the, the, the hat trick of headers that he scored against Barnsley earlier, I think it was earlier this month, it might've been in September, um, but that was also very good as well because you saw that he had that awareness of where to position himself in the area. You know those little runs that, like like Marcus Rashford yesterday for his goal against Liverpool. You know those little runs where he'll come short and then dart away. I think that yeah, Watkins is another player that we that we very much like, and obviously eight goals in twelve games, as you said. I think I think his goal return would be would seem more impressive apart from the fact that. Everyone's so aware that he's replacing Mopai, who was such a good goal scorer last season. But I think it's easy to forget that in Mopai's first season at Brentford, you know, his expected goal stats were seriously high. The team was creating chances for him. He was getting in the right positions. And actually, his goal output was much lower than expected. And then he had his his breakout season last year, getting a similar amount of chances, but just scoring at a much higher rate. Like Watkins is getting well, he's currently eight from 12 games. I think there's a su- suspicion or a suggestion that in some of the games he's drawn a blank, uh, he could have had a couple more, but you've got to expect that. Like this isn't the top level. These are young players. And this is a guy that is adapting to a new role. Everything about it for me has been really impressive so far. The positions that he takes up in the box lead to him consistently getting very high quality chances. And like I don't expect his scoring rate to slow down from this point. I think it either stays the same, which is what three in every four, which is very very strong. It could even get get better. He, he plays for a Brentford team that is going to create a lot of chances for him. So I think you know actually we're talking about him now in late October. I wouldn't be surprised if come January or May we're talking about him quite a lot, and so will everyone else be. Yeah, and you you find that you know those players who make that strong start to a season in the AFL and. With the games coming thick and fast, you know the, the confidence and the bounce and the momentum that that you know he might have. I mean, even if Brentford aren't you know playing the best football, and, you know getting the best results, Watkins himself will have that confidence that you know he he's going to back himself to be able to find the back of the net, um, and obviously as he has been already. Just moving on once again, I'm just conscious of the time. Uh, you obviously know quite a lot about League One and League Two as well. You wouldn't be the not the top 20 pod without it. Um, but I've seen on George's timeline um, over the past few weeks and months um, that there's been quite a bit of love for uh, an ex-Liverpool uh, guy at Watford, uh, Cameron Brannigan. Uh, would you be able to, I mean, please tell us, <laughs> tell us a bit more about Brannigan. Yeah, of course. Well, yeah, as I said, I'm an Oxford fan and, um, and Brannigan 
is an interesting case where he um, was a Liverpool uh, academy player who I think they had very high hopes for, um, was linked even to um, both Barcelona and Real Madrid as a youngster, um, which is probably more to do with the the highest team he was seen uh, in at Liverpool uh, rather than any concrete interest. But um, And Jurgen Klopp said very like, you know, promising things about him when he first came in. Um, but for whatever reason, it didn't work out. And he, he arrived at Oxford with a with a decent reputation. And he initially looked like a, a very tidy player in centre midfield. However, this season, for whatever reason, he is a completely different beast. And he is absolutely dominating the league. Um, his, you know, that pedigree, that Liverpool pedigree and the talent that you'd expect someone with that reputation to have, uh, really, really shining through. Uh, and, you know, he's not someone who's necessarily been a prolific goal scorer prior to the season, but he scored five already this season with five assists on top of that. But it's his engine and his work rate that really set him apart as well. He is a complete midfielder um, at the age of 23 years old who can do absolutely anything with it, um, whether it's play box to box and get on the end of balls, whether it's breaking up play and then and then recycling the ball. Uh, his array of passing is also fantastic. So he, you know, you often look at League One and League Two and you probably think that the players who are going to graduate from that level to, to be... Uh, top draw are probably going to be guys who are academy graduates who have had to drop down and Brannigan definitely fits that mould um, and you know as a fan I'm hoping we can keep him longer than this season but I'd be very very surprised uh, if, if that's the case. Do you, do you feel that it's quite clear when when an academy prospect from maybe one of the top clubs does drop down to League One or League Two and you know is, is there any hallmarks of of their style of play or how they carry themselves on the pitch or how they are technically that, that might you know be an indicator of you know them having a I mean, not a better football education, but more a more refined one. I think often it takes time. That's the only thing I would say. Um, you, these players often come down. I mean, John Lundstrom is another one we've had at Oxford who came in from Everton. And for the first, I'd say 10, 15 games, he didn't look particularly um, good at, 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 league, at League Two level it was at the time. You know, fast forward six to eight months, he was absolutely running things at the club and now he's a Premier League footballer. So maybe just giving them time to find their feet playing men's football, um, understanding what's required of them positionally uh, in order to enable them to use their talent to the best of their ability is the only thing I could really say is what sets them apart to others. I think it's a time as well where a player's personality comes to the fore a bit more and becomes a bit more important. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that academy football is easy in any way, but um, you know, it is, it is junior football at the end of the day. Adult football and senior football, we're always told, is... Uh, is a big step up and and young players themselves always say you know I'm, you know I'm I'm playing in front of crowds now but I'm also playing with guys who need a win bonus in order to pay their mortgage stuff like that so you you do often get big names dropping out of academies being picked up by EFL clubs with high reputations and not really following through and you get the other side of it as well you know just to say it's down to character would be wrong but it is a very very important thing and Brannigan fits the mould really well. We went to watch Oxford a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they actually lost at home to Accrington and I was watching Brannigan really closely. Sorry, they lost at home to Burton. Um, I was watching Brannigan closely and he was just, you could just see that he just oozed competitiveness, determination. Like he's a ball player, but real grit as well. He was flying into tackles. He was the one player on the pitch for Oxford that looked like he was going to refuse to accept them losing that game and he was going to do everything in his power to drag them back in it. And, you know, that's the sort of thing that does catch the eye even from the stands and kind of makes him stand out in a way that other players who who maybe don't have that force of character and that can be the sort of thing that 
it's not the only way to get to the top, but it's certainly going to help. Yeah, I mean, as a fan as well, that that's exactly what you want to see from players. I mean, you remember those, you know, tenacious central midfielders, the, the the workers that really grind out results for you, or, or you know, fly into tackles, but you know, with with control, and you know, they they talk the talk, but they they're able to walk the walk as well, and that's that's what's come across in in what I've read um, on on Brannigan, just purely from you, George. Um, but another another League One lad um, that. It's quite surprised me actually because uh, he signed for Newcastle as a teenager from Northampton and never really hit the the level that was going to be expected of him. Partially because of you know managerial turmoil, you know dipping down between leagues. Um, but it, it was Ivan Tony who I think he scored ten this season um, for for Peterborough already. Uh, that's on the back of sixteen league goals last term, uh, as well as scoring a hatful uh, while I was at Scunthorpe on loan as well. I mean, it's a little bit of a surprise, but. I suppose with more of a an EFL lens, that probably isn't as much of a surprise as, as say, for example, someone who focuses more on, on, on Premier League and Championship football rather than League One. Yeah, I wrote a piece for The Athletic um, last week all about the three uh, Peterborough attackers who are doing good things in, in Ivan Tony, Marcus Madison and Moisa. And for that piece, I spoke to uh, Chris War, who is the athletics uh, Newcastle correspondent just about you know what he'd heard about Tony from his time there what he knew about his time at Newcastle because the important thing to remember with Tony is that he wasn't a Newcastle graduate he was at Northampton he was a a Northampton Academy player as well Uh, and he came through under Chris Wilder uh, at Northampton and scored some pretty crucial goals which kept them um, in League Two kept them in, in in the EFL he scored a brace on the on the penultimate game of the season which included his first goal for the club, his first senior goal. And then he on the on closing day as well, he scored in a 3-1 win against Oxford, which kept them up. He then played a big part in the next season, still as a teenager, and earned his move to uh, uh, Newcastle on the back of, of that season. Graham Carr, who was head of recruitment at uh, Newcastle at the time, had uh, has strong links with Northampton, and that's how they, they got him. And I think the reason why it didn't work at Northampton, having spoken to, to Chris, was a, was a few reasons. Uh, Rafa Benitez came in, um, it was Steve McLaren as manager when he was bought and Rafa Benitez came in and decided pretty quickly that, you know, given that the key aim at that time was to get promotion back to the Premier League, he didn't really have much time to give a 20-year-old draw striker the minutes that he needed. Uh, so pretty quickly, he was loaned out, as you say, to a whole host of clubs. And the difficulty there came in that Tony himself said that he found it very difficult to go from playing under-23s football, going to play men's football, on loan, doing okay, finding his feet, and then coming back and having to play under-23s football again. Uh, and he never had that consistency, that run in the team. So going to Peterborough, and Peterborough paid you know, decent money for Tony. It wasn't a case of him being surplus to requirements at Newcastle. They, 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 you know, they asked for a, a few hundred thousand pounds for him. Um, and when he came in, he got that first season under his belt where he was playing consistent men's football, could grow into the player that he's become today. Still scored 16 goals in, in the season. But it's this season we're really seeing him come to the fore. And you know, I, I know that having spoken to people at the club, they're convinced they've got a Premier League striker on their books now, uh, as he is at the moment. Um, they're convinced they're going to get you know, well over four or five million for him um, pretty soon. So he, he's a striker who I think we can expect to, to make that jump again pretty soon. And he's a player who's got everything you want from a striker. He's not just a goal scorer. He holds up the ball very well. He's strong in the air, despite not being particularly tall. He can play up front on his own. He can play in a two. Um, so he is a case where I, I see what you mean and that it's a bit of a surprise to see how prolific he is, given that he didn't make the grade at Newcastle. But I think there may have been reasons behind that. 
and, and it's Posh's investment that's going to end up paying uh, quite a hefty sum to them in, in the near future. You mentioned that about Rafa Benitez and, and him not being able to give the, the minutes to a 20-year-old raw striker. And, and that is true because that wasn't the case. I mean, the thing with Benitez was he had a lot to do with, with trust of players, which is ultimately why he deemed Alexander Mitrovic surplus to requirements because he couldn't trust him as a, as a, as a striker. Um, but, and also the Graeme Carlink, you know, he, he, he was head of recruitment at Newcastle at the time and he had found quite a few gems for the club over the years, um, which is why when Tony came in and, and on at face value did seem to be a bit of a dud, um, it was quite, it, it wasn't reassuring. It thought of, it made you think, oh, has Carl lost his touch and all that. But um, no, it's, it's, you know, it's good to see him thriving at, at Peterborough now and, you know, scoring plenty of goals. But as you say, stylistically being a good Premier League striker as well, not just someone who's catered to, to, to men's football in the EFL who wouldn't be able to make the step up. And I mean, I suppose mm. it'll be interesting to see if, you know, in, in future, those Chris Wilder links come to the fore once again, you know, perhaps if um, if, if Sheffield United are looking for someone like that. But mm. I mean, yeah, it's it, he's another one. I think he's still 23 years old who, yeah, it's taken a little bit more time, but it just goes to show that, you know, player development and player progress isn't linear. And when he get obviously he's got a run of of games now at Peterborough over the past eighteen months or so, and it's taken that time for him to get up to the to the level where where he's going to be able to show what initially he showed at Northampton. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I wish him the best of luck, and and obviously that that Peterborough front three are, are doing are doing wonders right now. I, mean, I think it's it's Tony and Issa. They're both joint top scorers of League One, aren't they? Yeah, the the only two players in the EFL to have reached double figures so far and they play for the same team. So, I mean, it's, it's genuinely absurd that there is one team with, with two players on 10 goals and then 70 other teams with no one that's reached that margin. So, yeah, really, really positive stuff for them. Yeah, very positive for Peterborough. Uh, and obviously, a lot of very positive things we've, we've mentioned in this pod about the likes of Ben White, about Eberizi and Ollie Watkins and, and Buemo. Loads and loads of, of championship players there as well. Um, one we haven't mentioned is Conor Gallagher, but uh, you have mentioned that on, on the pod that you recorded this afternoon. And, and we've spoken about, of, uh, about Gallagher on, on a previous Scouted podcast as well. Um, we have just about run out of time there um, just for this week's episode. Um, but I'm sure we could come on again and talk about another five to ten players. Oh yeah, I'm <laughs> sure I'm sure we could. It's just a matter of finding the time, isn't it? It's just yeah, you know, there's so many players that, that, that so intriguing, so many different narratives, so many different stories to follow. And yeah, I mean, I, I speak for everyone at Scouted when I say that you know we'd be we'd be delighted to have you on again at some point. Great. No, we've loved being on, and and yeah, we haven't been able to cover everyone, but. If anyone does want to, to get in touch with us, Twitter's probably the best way. And we're more than happy to talk about any EFL players, especially young prospects. So, yeah, just, just get in touch with us at NTT20pod. Yeah, and if you'd like to follow uh, either of the boys on Twitter, um, personally, they are at the Makaleli role, that's Ali, and at George Ellick, that's E-L-E-K, uh, on Twitter for the two guys there. Um, that just wraps things up. Thanks again for, for joining me on this one, boys. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk about, and I'm sure, as we've said, we could have talked for a lot longer, uh, but we'll we'll organise that for, for a later date. But um, yeah, thanks very much for, for, for joining me, um, and we'll see you soon. Cheers, mate. Keep doing what you're doing uh, because we love it too. Brilliant. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.